Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today. follows now. Father, we thank you. We are thankful. And we do say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us across the threshold, not only of a new year, but through the first month and now into the second month. We thank you for the blessing that we've received. We anticipate even more of what you're going to do. We thank you for the day, this day of praise and scriptures that have been read and prayers that have been offered to cover us and now Lord we need a word to help us to live we pray that you would again lift your human out of self and fill us with the Holy Spirit speak to us and through us in this moment and bless the words that are in our mouth and meditations that are on our heart that it may be acceptable in your sight O Lord our strength and our redeemer with you there is a word Without you, there is no word. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I had purpose to begin a new series this morning, but it's going to be interrupted a little bit because of schedule that I'll be on on the next couple of weeks. But I'm going to do just in the introductory comments or segments on this section that I want to teach on that leads us in this great season toward Easter and the cross and all of that. But before we get there, we want to look at this familiar passage that's written in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And we're going to look at the first two verses, although some of the other verses in the passage will be included in the contextual understanding but John 11, 1 and 2 is the primary focus for our understanding this morning. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with oil, with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This is the word of God for the people of God. I, I want to talk today about those who love him, those who love Jesus. 
those who love Jesus then in the biblical record, and we'll look at three of those persons. We need to know who they are. But those of us who, who love Jesus today includes you and me. And with that love comes a level of responsibility for him. See, when I was a kid growing up, there was an old DJ on the radio. They called him Papa Rock. And Papa Rock had a definition for love. And he said, love is a language that's spoken by the heart and not by the lips. It's heard on the soul and not in the ear. And, and, and what, what Rock was really trying to convey is that, is that love is not the emotion always that we feel. But it's, it's the action that speaks to the demonstration of what's really in our heart. See, love, love is not what you say. It's what you do. And, and, and this is a, a great time to, to think about it. Because all of this month, especially the first two weeks, they're going to be displaying things that remind you of love. Valentine's Day, people are going to get their heart broken. <laughs> and some are going to be filled with delight. Because, and what, what, what is it that would break the heart? It, it, it would break the heart because the, the action doesn't match up with the words. See, people will say, oh, I love you, and then don't bring no action behind it. So you say, oh, know about that. And God is the same way. God, God, God loves us. We know that he loves us. And his actions has demonstrated that he loves us. But the question this morning about those of us who love him, what is the accompanying action that demonstrates that our love for God is real and sincere and true? Well, when you think about it, when, when, when the Lord has done something for you, you, you're supposed to be a witness for him. You, you ought to have something to say about his goodness. Just a moment ago, we got all worked up about thank you, Jesus. And that's an appropriate action of thanksgiving because you reflect on something God has done. And so the response then should be thanks. It's a mighty poor person who can receive and receive and receive and never say thank you. But have you ever listened to two people give their testimonies about what God has done? Very rarely are their testimonies the same. And it can be two people who are related, who know each other, but God has to deal and do different things to each one of us to bring us to that place where we want to be a witness for him. 
Now, me personally, I, I just grew up in a different era, and I grew up in a time where I just didn't want God to have to beat me down to make me say, thank you, Jesus, or to make me say, I'm, I'm a witness, I'm okay. I mean, I can say, thank you, Lord, if he wakes me up in the morning, I can say, thank you. You know, if that truck missed me, I can say, thank you. You know, whatever it is, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of arm twisting for me. But different people are different. And God knows how to get that miracle, get that, get that witness out of you. So that's what we see in our text this morning. We, we see three people here. And we, we look, we, we, we listen, and, and we know that this is the story of one of the greatest miracles that has been wrought by the Christ. And that miracle is the raising of a man whose name was Lazarus from the dead. Now, that is a stunning miracle. It was stunning now, not because Lazarus was the only one that Jesus raised, but the circumstance under which this resurrection occurs. See, there were other people, two other people that Jesus raised during his earthly ministry. There was a young 12-year-old girl who was the daughter of a religious leader whose name was Jairus. Jairus had a daughter who was 12 years old and she came down with a sickness and illness that led to her death. And, and the day that girl died, Jesus was at the house within a few moments of a little while and before long, he had her standing on her feet. Now, that was a miracle. It was a resurrection. But the people that were watching it didn't even think that the girl was dead. They said, oh, she's not dead. And, and, and Jesus was the one that said she's not dead, but she's asleep. And, and they laughed. We know what death looked like. We know that girl was dead. Uh, but Jesus told her parents, just believe. And a few minutes later, the girl's standing up. Now, some people said that wasn't so hard because maybe she really wasn't dead. She had just died a few minutes, and so maybe her heart just stopped and she came back. Another resurrection was when Jesus was coming out of, saw this funeral procession coming out of the village of Nain. And he stopped the funeral procession, and the casket was being borne by the men. And in it was a boy, young boy, the widow's son. And it was our only means of support. No social security, no welfare program, no government subsidies. And all the woman had was what her son could produce. And now he was dead. And Jesus felt compassion for the family. So he stopped the funeral possession. And he touched the casket. And, and he got the boy up. And he gave that woman her son back. Well, some people said that wasn't no bad, no big miracle because... Maybe he really wasn't dead or just in a coma. See, in the Jewish community, they don't, they don't send people to the funeral home and they don't fill them with embalming fluid. They go ahead and bury them right then. They bury them that day, the next day, within a few hours. They don't wait. And so maybe the people thought that those miracles weren't that bad. But this one, Lazarus was dead. And in the grave, four days. And if you've ever been to Palestine, you know how hot it is. And so a body that's been entombed 
for four days deteriorates very fast. And so when, when Jesus showed up for this miracle, they, they protested. They said, wait, Master Nog, he's been in the grave four days, and by now he, he, he stinketh. And so they, they didn't want him to go through with it. And before we get into all of the information about that particular resurrection and what that miracle did, you have to ask yourself a question. Why did he do it? What was the purpose of the miracle? Was, was, was the purpose of the miracle to finally convince the enemies of Jesus that he had done enough, that, that he had the power to do who, what he said and was the person he claimed to be? There were always people in Jesus' day Everybody has haters. You have haters. I have haters. And you better believe that Jesus had haters because he, he did what nobody else could do. He, he brought the crowds away from the religious leaders and they were all packing out his concerts, if you will. <laughs> he was packing the plains, baby. He was packing the seashore. And the religious leaders were jealous of that. And they hated him for it. And they sought at every opportunity to embarrass him or to show that he was a fraud, that he wasn't who he said he was. And so they would have loved to have used this as an occasion to be able to say, aha. So you wonder, did he give the miracle to convince them one last time that he was the Christ, the son of God? I really don't think so. I really believe the miracle here of the raising of Lazarus was for the glory of God so that Christ could be glorified and God could be glorified. But it also was a miracle of compassion because these were people that Jesus loved. And so we need to know who they are. And that's what I want to do in this introduction. Before we get into the story of the resurrection and all that happened in that, let's understand who these people are that Jesus loved. The text opens simply by saying there was a certain man who was sick. No background, no last name. No genealogy to tell the whole lineage of his family history. It just said there was a certain man named Lazarus. So he's introduced. Man named Lazarus. We'll talk about him in a minute. But where he lived? He lived in a village called Bethany. And where is Bethany? Bethany is just a few miles, few really steps from Jerusalem. It was on the main highway. That led from Galilee when the Jewish people came from Galilee and they went to Jerusalem. They had to almost literally go through Bethany. And, and, and that was so it was a small little village just before you get to the big city of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus often stopped there. And there were two sisters who lived at that house. Not only was there a, a man named Lazarus. But then he had two sisters. Mary was one sister's name, and Martha was the other sister. Now, Mary's name is listed first, but I want to start the introductions with Sister Martha. 
Because Martha is a pivotal player in the understanding of what is happening here and what leads to this miracle. Who is Martha? Martha, 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 Martha was a woman who was well known in that part of the world. This is John's, the writer of this gospel's first mention of this little family of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But it's not the first mention of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the Bible. The other gospel writers have written about them. And so by the time John wrote his gospel, the stories and the information about who Lazarus was and who Martha was and who Mary was would have been known by his readers because John writes his gospel 30 years after Matthew has put down his pen, 30 years after Mark and Luke has closed out their gospel so people would have been reading and hearing stories about Mary and Martha and Lazarus for a long time. So when John writes here, he's writing assuming that people already know who these people are. And, and, and why would they know? Because they would have heard. They, they, they would have heard about Martha. Who, who was Martha was a, was, was a gourmet chef, a test for her day. She, she had the spiritual gift of hospitality. In other words, she could cook. Now, y'all know folk like that. And, and folk who got it really good, they, they, the word get out. You know, Miss Jones sure can make some sweet potato pie. <laughs> or, or this girl sure can bake a cake. Or, or whatever it is. When, when people got, got a gift like that, it, it, it won't be hard for a reputation to develop concerning who, 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 who they are. So, so, so they knew. And, and they would also have known that this would be people who were friends with Jesus because of where their house was located, right on the road that led from Jerusalem, I mean from, Beth, from Galilee to Jerusalem, Bethany, that Jesus often stopped at their house and that he loved this family. So that would have been known that these are people that Jesus loved. These were special people to him. Everybody that Jesus loved is special to him. And so now here comes Martha. Now, Luke is the one who gives us the first insight as to who Martha is. And I want you to see Martha in her before life and her afterlife, not before death and not after death. But in her life, before Christ does a miracle that changes her, see who this woman was and see who she is after the miracle that occurs. Before, we have to go to Luke's gospel chapter 10. And there we see Jesus has stopped at the home of Martha. No mention of Lazarus this time. But Martha is preparing Jesus a dinner. And Jesus has showed up for the dinner. And he's sitting down in the living room. I would assume it's the living room. 
And, and Mary, the sister, has come in and sat down with Jesus. And Martha's still busy in the kitchen. And Martha got angry. And she decided, mad, tick, whatever, you know, some of the other terminology that you use. And she came in to get on her sister's case. She's ready to scold Jesus and she's ready to scold her sister. And he comes, she comes in. Can you almost see her? You can see her coming out the kitchen. You can see her head wrap, apron round her waist, her flats. And she's coming in the living room. And she get right in Jesus' face. And she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the serving and everything else? And she's in here sitting down, bid her to help me. Now, now Jesus looks up and he says, Martha. Chill. <laughs> Using my sanctified imagination. He said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled by many things and anxious by much. In other words, you got a lot going on in your head, girl. He said, there are many things, but Mary has chosen the good part, and that shall not be taken from her. So what is Jesus doing? He, he is issuing a rebuke and he's stinging to Martha. And, and he's saying to her, look, look, calm down, chill out. She's upset. She's all worked up. And there is only one guest that she's serving. And that's Jesus. Now, why would Jesus rebuke the girl? Not because she had the gift of service. Don't misunderstand. Jesus wants us to serve. Whatever gift you have been given, God wants you to use that gift in his service. But the problem here was Martha's attitude. She, she had, a, she had, a, she had a, a bad attitude about the serving and about the other people that was involved. She wanted Jesus to make Mary join her in the kitchen. Now, you got to understand that Mary probably had already done her part. Probably had washed the dishes, probably had cut up the vegetables or done whatever needed to be done. And, and, and now her part was done since Martha was known to be the gourmet. Mary's part was done, so she went in and had a seat with Jesus. But Martha is upset. Now, you got to know that the gospel writers wasn't through with Martha. Matthew writes about her again in the 26th chapter. Mark writes about her again in the 14th chapter. But John tells us about Martha again in the 12th chapter. Now, come on with me to the 12th chapter and let's look. And see what John has to say. John said, now, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. So he's back in Bethany again, this little village where Lazarus, now look at this, was, which had been dead 
whom he raised from the dead. So chapter 12 happens after what happens in chapter 11. So now Lazarus is sick in chapter 11. In chapter 12, he has been raised. And I want you to see, here is the scene of another dinner. Look at what it says. Verse 2. There they made him a supper, made a supper for Lazarus. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now this time, Martha is serving again. But not just one person this time. She got a big dinner party. This time there are at least 17 people there. Because Jesus is there and he has his 12 disciples. So that's 13. They're in the house of Simon the leper who was probably somebody else that Jesus has healed. So that's 14. Then there's Mary, that's 15. There's Martha, that's 16. And if there was anybody else that was kidding the Simon they was there, that would have made at least 17 people. And Martha is serving again. But this time, Martha is serving gladly. And there is no mention of the hostility that has occurred. Why? Because Jesus has had to do something different to get Martha's attention. And what did he do this time? He raised her brother. Man, God would do different things to change you, to bring out the testimony that you have. See, before Lazarus was even sick, Martha had an attitude about serving. Now that Lazarus has gone through his sickness, actually died, and has been raised from the grave by Jesus, demonstrating his power and his compassion toward the family, Martha has a different attitude. There is a change. May I tell you, God knows how to get your attention. Sometimes if he doesn't work directly on you, he'll work on your family. He'll he'll work through a sickness that occurs in the family. He'll work through a loss. He'll work through a circumstance because God knows exactly how to flip the script on all of us. These were people he loved, but this was the first person who had not demonstrated the kind of love back toward him that he wanted. See, it wasn't the service that Jesus wanted. It was Martha that he wanted. It's not your service that God wants. It's you. There are a lot of people who have gifts, and there are a lot of people who have the wonderful gift of service, but they can't get the service done because they got a bad attitude. Now, you know it's the truth. You know it's the truth, man. God used to help me, man. He has to help me because there have been time, man, I've seen people who could serve, but they would, their service would be diminished because their life would not demonstrate the same alignment with their service and their attitude. Man, we had a lady, man, we used to work at the church. She used to be an usher, man. She was sweet. She could stand. She could walk. She had the style, but she had a bad attitude at that door. If you reach for that door, what you want in here? Nothing. <laughs> I've, I've seen people, man, in food service who could cook, man, the food be delicious, 
but they make you not want it. Him. <laughs> Seeing people in all branches of service who, who could do it, man, but the, but the attitudes ruin them. And, 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 and Jesus rebukes Martha because she has a bad attitude. He doesn't rebuke the service. Listen, in the kingdom of God, there are a lot of places for people to plug in and a lot of need for various levels of service. It's important, and even in a building like this, that we have a wonderful custodial staff. You might not think so. You might think, oh, custodial is nothing, until you're in a tight and you run into one of those restrooms and then there's no paper in there. What's wrong with these people? Every job is important. Everything that anyone can contribute is valuable. But it's not so much the service itself. It's the right mindset that has to be developed. And so Martha doesn't have the right mindset until Jesus deals with her family. And when he works through, you know, what did they do? What did Martha do? She got, she got all upset, man, because Lazarus was sick. And immediately she gets out of her, can I use my mind, her cell phone. I know they didn't have cell phones in those days. But she sends him a text. Master, the one you love is sick. In other words, get here. Hurry up and get here. Because we know what? We know that you are a healer. And we know that if you show up, you can fix him. But Jesus, <laughs> he get the text. He look at it. He said, mm, nah, I ain't no hurry. <laughs> He'll be all right. This sickness, he says, is not unto death. It's not going to end in death. Even though the man dies, that wasn't going to be the end of it. Because it wasn't about the death. It was about the glory of God. That was to come. And so Martha isn't converted and until after Lazarus is raised. Look, when Jesus does answer the text, four days later, he shows up in town. And when he shows up in town, the first person out the door is Martha. And she goes right to Jesus with the same attitude. Now, you got to see this. She goes right to Jesus. Master, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But after he raises her, his brother from the dead, then all of that changes for her. I'm trying to tell you, God knows what it takes for each one. Now, Mary, when she heard that Jesus was in town, she went to him too, but she's not fussing. She goes to him and says, Master, if you had only been here, my brother would have, have not died. Because I knew that you would have been able to deal with him. So Martha is, is the first person we need to see. The, 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 she becomes a witness. She gives a powerful testimony through her service. But it's only after Christ does for her what he needs to do. And what does it do? What, what was her problem at first? Why do you think she had an attitude? She had an attitude because her eyes were only on her. Only on what she wanted. Only on what she thought and like she thought. Her eyes, although she was providing a service to Jesus, her mind was not on Jesus. Her mind was on her. 
can I tell you this happens every day? It happens in the church. It happens in the home. It happens in the community. People have their minds on what they want and not on the Lord. And so the Lord has to intervene to change that testimony. And so he draws out now a beautiful testimony. The big dinner, Martha's around there serving. and She got a towel on and she doesn't fuss with nobody. She doesn't get in nobody's face. She's serving gladly. And there are 17 people. You know that's a change. <laughs> when she fussed when there was one and doesn't say anything when there's 17. <laughs> Tell me what the Lord won't do. <laughs> Let's look quickly at the second person here, Lazarus. Lazarus was no name as... Nothing mentioned about Lazarus, just say that he, he got sick. We don't know what kind of disease it was. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know whether it was just age or whether it was age-related or some degenerating disease, but Lazarus was sick, and, and his sickness deteriorated up to the point that he died. But by the time we come to the second dinner that's listed in chapter 12, Lazarus is a great witness. Everybody is coming from around to see Lazarus. Now, what is it that makes him such a great witness? It's not that Lazarus had anything to say. Lazarus is not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John as ever saying anything. Now, you got to know there are two Lazaruses that's in the, in the New Testament. One Lazarus is not the same fellow that we're talking about here. One Lazarus was the Lazarus that Luke writes about in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. That he begged, he was a beggar, and he begged crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And eventually, that Lazarus died, and he was carried into Abraham's bosom. And eventually, the rich man died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And the rich man wanted that Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come cool his tongue. But that's not this Lazarus. This Lazarus just lived in Bethany. He lived with his sisters, Martha and Mary, and he got sick, and eventually he died. But he was also a man that Jesus loved. And when Jesus showed up, even though they thought it was too late, Jesus said, show me where you laid him. And they go to Jesus, to Lazarus' tomb, and Jesus called his name, Lazarus! Come forth, and Lazarus came out. Then Jesus tells him, loose him and let him go. We're going to talk about that a little later. But, but Lazarus came forth from the grave. And now in Luke, John's gospel, chapter 12, there is this dinner. And this dinner is being held for Jesus' honor. And Lazarus is there. And he's seated at the table with Jesus. And folk from everywhere are coming. And Lazarus is a notable witness. There were people that was coming to that second dinner to Simon's house because they had been to Lazarus' funeral and they now knew that he was alive and everybody was coming just to see Lazarus. What are you saying, Pastor? Lazarus was a witness even though he said nothing. It would be wonderful if we all could give verbal testimonies and it's necessary sometimes that we give verbal testimonies with our words, but everybody is not a speaker and God does not require that everybody say something, but what God requires is that you let your light so shine 
See, Lazarus was in the same position spiritually that we all were in. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus came along and he raised us from that low place, that dead place. And now we are alive and we are to go about our daily living, letting our light shine. You don't have to tell everybody that you're a child of God. You don't have to carry a big Bible, dangle a cross around your neck. You just let your light shine. Lazarus is doing nothing. He's saying nothing, but he's sitting at the dinner table and he's sitting with Jesus. Oh, Lord. So when people come around to see, aren't you him who was dead? Yeah, I was dead, but behold, I am alive. Like the man who was born blind. And they wanted to know, are you the one that was born blind? He said, yes, I was blind, but now I see. And they wanted to know, well, what's the difference? And he said, a man named Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning who can say that a man named Jesus woke you up, opened your eyes, caused you to move again? See, before Jesus, I was just a zombie. I was walking around, but I was dead in my trespasses and in my sin. But when he woke me up, he changed my name. He changed my walk. He changed my talk. He changed how I feel about people. And even though I might not say it, I can show it through my life. Well, Lazarus became a witness, a great witness. Not because he had so much to say, but people just wanted to see him because they knew where he had been. See, there are people, man, you know, I want you young ladies over there to know, and all of the young people are all here to know, that people will remember you when you were young. And they'll want to call you out. Good, I remember you when you were fast. and, And there are some people who want you to stay fast, and they don't want you to change. And they want to keep you lost. And they want to keep you in that condition. Remember when I first started preaching, I was apprehensive about telling some of my frat brothers and telling some of the guys that I used to hang with, people who used to play in the gig band with, that the Lord had called me to preach. Because I knew what they would say. I knew what they were thinking. But guess what? I'm glad to show myself to them today. I'm glad for them to see. I'm glad for them to see and to hear what good things the Lord has done. There was another man. He didn't die, but he was out of his mind. He had lost his mind. He took off all his clothes. He was running around in the tombstone naked and cutting himself with stones. But this same Jesus came his way. And Jesus restored that man in his right mind. And when Jesus finished working on him, and the man said, well, master, let me follow you. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to follow me. He said, I want you to go home and sit on the front porch. I want you to read your newspaper that when your neighbors come by and they want to know, aren't you that fool that used to be in the tombstone? I want you to tell them what good thing the Lord had done. You don't have to say it always. You just show it. Yeah, you can be a witness like Martha. You can be a witness like Lazarus. But you got to be a witness. 
There's a third person here before I need our time run out that I need to tell you about. And that's Sister Mary. See, Martha talked. She talked a lot. She barked even at people. Lazarus didn't say anything. He just sat at the table with Jesus and people saw him and they believed. People ran everywhere. The religious leaders even got mad. And they said, because of Lazarus, we got to kill him too. We got to kill Jesus because everybody is going to believe in him if we don't get rid of him. But Mary, what did Mary do? All Mary did was sit at the feet of Jesus. Every time you read about Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. When Luke writes about her in chapter 10, Martha's in the kitchen and she upset. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here we come again. And guess where Mary is? Once again, at the feet of Jesus. But this time, in a little different context. Because she had been sitting at the feet of Jesus, she had heard his words. And she had learned of his noble purpose for whence the Father sent him into the world. That he was to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And whereas she was not one of those 12 that went around with him everywhere and saw all the other miracles that he did, she learned what they didn't learn. She learned his real purpose for coming into the world. And this time, while she's at Simon the leper's house, she breaks out her alabaster box. And in that alabaster box is expensive ointment, perfume, probably that she's been saving for a long time. Now, you ladies know about that perfume. You got some killer perfume that you don't wear every day. <laughs> you, you, only, you only pull out those spurts for certain moments. And certain time when you really want to, oh, y'all want to play it here. God, it just might be some that don't have but one brand of perfume that you spray all the time. But, but some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You got, you got some of that shown up, shown up. And that alabaster box, that was precious. That wasn't for everyday use. As a matter of fact, she had not even broke out that perfume at all. But on that occasion, she sees Jesus and she thinks about the noble purpose that God had sent him into the earth. She knew that Adam had sinned. She knew that Eve had sinned. She knew that Noah had messed up. She knew that Abraham had messed up. She knew that Isaac and Jacob had messed up. She knew that David had messed up. She knew that Solomon had messed up. She knew that everybody had messed up and only Jesus could fix them up. So she brought out her alabaster box. She thought about her brother. She thought about her sister. She thought about herself. She thought about all of the people around in her village that she knew was messed up. And she could not contain herself. And before you know it, she broke that alabaster box and she poured that expensive ointment on Jesus' head and all down his body, down his feet. And then she wasn't too proud. She broke down on her knees. She took out the rubber band out of her hair and she shook her hair loose and she got down and she wiped Jesus' feet 
with her hair. And man, let me tell you, when you do something like that, you're going to find out where haters are. Because in that room, they began to holler, oh, what a waste. This ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii and the proceeds given to the poor. You know who said it, don't you? It was Judas. And Judas said it not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was the, 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 he was the treasurer and he kept the bag. And every now and then it tells us that he was a thief, that he would pull something out. The rest of the disciples didn't even know that Judas was like that. But Jesus knew. And Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. But me, you only have this little while. And he said, y'all need to shut up talking about Mary. He said, because she has understood from being at my feet the purpose of why I came. And she has taken this anointment and she has anointed my body for my burial. Did any one of you do that? Did any one of you? None of the boys even wanted to wipe his feet. And this girl has anointed his body for his burial. And Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, this won't be taken from her. That this act of love and sacrifice will always be made mention. Let me, let me just sum this up. I got to go, got to go, got to go. But I got to tell you, God wants you to be a witness. You are those he loves. And, and he knows how to draw out of you the testimony. Now, you could be in a bad place. You could have all kinds of gifts and abilities, but your attitude bad. God knows how to bring you around. And it'll be your testimony later that you serve the Lord with gladness. You come before his presence with singing. Or you can be like Lazarus, not a person to say very much. Just look and show the world what a wonderful person God has made you to be. Because you were dead, but now the Lord has brought you alive. Or you can be like Mary. You can offer him the most precious, most expensive thing that you possess. And you can do it only because you realize who he is and what he means. Listen, people don't break open the box if they don't know who Jesus is. But when people know who Jesus is and know why he came and know what he has done for you, then there's nothing that you're willing to hold back. No gift too great. No personal possession too much. Because you know what he has done. What did he do? He came into this earth. He went to a hill called Calvary. And he died in your place as your substitute. To pay your sin debt. And then he rose the third day with all power in heaven and earth. In your hand, in his hand. And he ascended to heaven's right hand. And he's seated now at the right hand of the father. And he's there making intercession every day for you and me. And he looks at you and he gives you time and chance again. And he forgives you over and over and over again. All because he thought you were worth it. And because he thought you were worth it, she thought he was worth it. And whenever you understand who's worth what, that he's worth everything that I have, then I'm willing to break open my alabaster box. And it doesn't matter what it costs. I'm willing to give my life. 
My life is my box. And I'm willing to pour out my life for the glory of God himself. And the only way you can do that is to know that he thought you were worth it. Didn't he think it? Because he went, he came to this earth, shook off his robe in heaven, came down through 42 generations, took on the likeness of human flesh so that he could give his life as a sacrifice so that you could be free, so that you could be whole, so that you could tell everybody you know that he thought that you were worth saving. Oh, God, help us today. Help us to change from being the self-centered Marthas that we have been. Help us to be more like the stately Lazarus that's willing to sit at the table and identify with Jesus or be the self-sacrificing person like Mary who hangs around the feet of Jesus to learn of his great wonderful purpose and say that he's worth everything that I have because he thinks I'm worth his sacrifice. Doors of the church open. Doors open. Invitation time. Somebody might be here today. Somebody want to give God your heart. Want to walk out on the world and say to him, you thought I was worth it, so I want you to have me. Doors open. Anytime doing this song, give God your heart. Give one of these your hands. You thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life so I could be free. So I could be whole. So I could. You clean me up in life. 
from here today and understand who you are and what God has done. He's thinking that you were worth it. Hey friends, this is your friend again, Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm back again to talk about this book. We've introduced this book to you before and we want to tell you a little bit more about it today. We want to talk today about the impact that materials can have. All of us are impacted by something. We're impacted by experiences. We're impacted by things that we have heard and seen and experienced in our life. And this book really shares a lot of the impact that has been made in my life through 48 years or 45 years of being married, 50 years of being with the same lady. And I tell you, when I first got married, there were a lot of things I just did not know. But over the years and over the times, I've gained tremendous insights. And I've written down those insights and made them available in this book. Friends, in addition to the book that we have been discussing, So You Want to Be Married, I've also been fortunate enough to share insight and impact through other books that we have written. The first book that we ever wrote was When God Changes a Church, It Becomes the Church for the Unchurch. The second book is a very important book, Pathways to Church Growth, Reaching the Unchurched. And the third book, Everybody Deserves a Good Funeral. I've seen so many funerals, I've participated in quite a number, and there are mistakes sometimes that are made. This book gives great insight and comfort to those who are going through the process. And finally, the book that we're featuring today, So You Want to Be Married. Follow the prompts on the screen and find out how these impactful books may also impact your life. 
Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you. 